0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're getting hacks that actually work for building confidence, uncovering the latest research on the health effects of alcohol, or working through childhood trauma with science backed methods. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. We are back today with another advice episode where every single month I'm joined by a very special guest and we answer all of your questions. If you haven't listened to last month's advice episode yet that I did with Andy Bartz, you absolutely should because it was such a juicy conversation. We talked about questioning your sexuality later in life, what to do if a family member cheats on their partner, how to make more couple friends, and so much more. You can always send any questions that you want answered to ask at lizmoody.com, or I'll be taking questions on Instagram the last week or so of every month, so be on the lookout for that. Everything is always 100% anonymous. Today, I am so excited to welcome Robin Del Monte to the podcast. You might know Robin by her name on TikTok and Instagram, Girlboss Town, where she shares her perspective and hot takes on all things PR, brand strategy, marketing, pop culture, and so much more. Robin has amassed a following of over 650,000 people while sharing her takes, explanations, and predictions and is considered the internet's agent. Her advice is truly amazing on this episode and we get into so many different topics, including tips for creating social media content if you don't know where to start, how to uncover who you are regardless of what everyone else thinks, tiny ways to bring more joy into your daily life, how to make time for creative endeavors when you're exhausted from your nine to five, why you need to be paying yourself energetically and exactly how to do it, how to balance caring about how you look and wanting looks to matter less, tips for navigating grief and loss. Robin lost her mother as a teenager and she does a lot of work in the grief space, so I wanted to be sure to ask her all of your questions about this topic. We also get into what you can do and say to help someone that you love who might be experiencing grief and so much more. I do want to give a small warning, and this is just because I am a super perfectionist. We had a little audio trouble with this episode, and the quality of the audio is not where I would love it to be. I debated re-recording, but honestly, I love the content so much that I couldn't not share it with you. So hopefully that won't impact your listening experience, but I just wanted to give a little warning, mostly because I just love this podcast so much, and I always want it to be the best possible experience for all of you. And I don't want you to think that this type of audio quality is what we would normally have, but the conversation truly is so, so, so good. So I hope that makes up for it. It is, as you can see, a very wide-ranging conversation. And as always, we would both love to hear your thoughts on our advice and your takes as you're listening. So definitely screenshot and tag us on Instagram. I am at Liz Moody and Robin is at Girlboss Town. And if you love this conversation or a piece of Robin's advice really resonates with you, please share it with a friend or family member or coworker or just anyone in your life. Sharing is the best way to support the podcast. And you all ask such interesting questions. So I think this episode will help so many people, whether they're looking to tap into a more authentic version of themselves or even dealing with a loss of their own right now. I wanted to give you a super quick reminder before we get into the episode that my brand new book, 100 Ways to Change Your Life, is officially on sale for pre-order. You are going to love it if you love this podcast. I basically distilled the most life-changing advice that I've gotten on this podcast into 100 science-backed, actionable tips, and I put them into one book. On every single page, you get not only an explanation for how to have more energy, how to love yourself, how to overcome roadblocks, how to up-level your relationships, and so much more, but also an action tip, exactly what to do to use that science to change your life starting today. Pre ordering is hands down the best way to support authors. It essentially tells publishing houses how excited that they should be about a book. So, as an extra thank you, we are also doing a giveaway for a thousand dollar credit to an airline of your choice to travel anywhere you want. Just go to a hundred ways to change your That is one zero zero ways to change your life.com. And you can order and enter. You can only enter to get the thousand dollar credit if you pre order. And we're actually closing this giveaway soon. So, Run over there and do that today, a hundred ways to change your life.com. You can get all of the details there. And one final thing, if you missed the announcement, I wanted to let you know that we are officially changing the name of the podcast to the Liz Moody Podcast. I am very nervous, but I'm also very excited about the change. And I want you to know that the content here is not going to change at all. I just really want the podcast name to reflect the scope of everything that we talk about on here. It's just so much more than what fits into a lot of people's idea of a health podcast. The name change is not happening just yet, but I want you to know that when you see The Liz Moody Podcast pop up on your podcast app, it is still me and we are still having the same incredible conversations with the experts that you know and love every single week. Okay, let's get right into it with Robin Del Monte. Robin, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm such a fan of everything that you've created for yourself on the internet. You have such a strong brand, but then you also have this authenticity and vulnerability, and I just love what you're putting out there. Thank you so much. I feel like for a long time, I thought I had to be one or the other
1: to really gain a following. and Then when I realized that gaining a following wasn't the entire point of my career or who I am as a human, I was like, you know what? if I just show myself, like I can do both. And it actually ended up getting me exactly where I needed to be because I have this side of me that's very pop culture, business oriented, but then I've gone through so much in my life that I know others can relate to. So slowly opening up and showing that side of me to my audience is very important for me and is the most personal, obviously, to me that I love doing. It's been amazing to have the platform to do so.
0: You say that growing a following isn't the sole purpose of your brand and your life. What do you think of as the purpose of your brand and your life? When I think about what the purpose of my life is, I like to think about what
1: makes me genuinely happy. And throughout therapy, I've made a list of things like from very small to big of things that actually make me happy and to focus on that. And I did learn that in therapy, but it's also in one of Oprah's books who I love because she's like, I accomplished all of this and I'm still like, okay, what's next? So I think the purpose of my life is to live a life of fulfillment where I can say I'm genuinely happy. And what I like doing the most is definitely my philanthropic work with grief camp and being kind of a role model for girls or guys who maybe don't have a traditional background or a traditional
0: story or a traditional family and show that they can find success as well. You said you have little things and big things that make you happy. Can you share some of those?
1: I am very much a music person and that's what inspires a lot of my ad campaigns, weirdly enough. So when like a really good song plays during a movie or a TV show... That is something that makes me so happy that I hyper fixate on. Driving to the beach with my guy best friends in New Hampshire, knowing we have like the whole day ahead of us. I love the beginning of days where you're like, I'm already having so much fun and I have the whole day to go. And there's like so much to look forward to and you're already having so much fun. I love being by the water period. Like, I'm such a water baby. And definitely having a good meal with my best girlfriends from childhood where we feel. Like we're all at the same point in life again, because in the real world, we're all in such different places in our life. But when we all get together, it's like we're all teenagers again. And that's very comforting to me. Those are some of the things that make me really, really happy.
0: What do you do on a day where you wake up and you're just kind of in a funk? Will you schedule in one of those things? I
1: would like to say that I would do that. But as anybody who's listening to this knows, when you're in a funk, it's really hard to do something good for yourself. But I've been trying to do so. Also, my therapist and I have been talking about kind of proactively doing those things. I travel so much for work. I travel once every week or two weeks. So while I'm home, I tend to just like decompress and stay in my room because I'm not home that much. But that leads to me kind of like hibernating and bad thoughts, even though it's what I need. So it's proactively being like, okay, Robin, you're going to be home for a week. Make at least one plan with friends, with yourself to get out of the house and do something that will make you happy. In the moment, normally when I'm sad, I'm not like, I'm going to go do something that makes me happy. I wish I could, but it's harder than it sounds. But I've been trying to proactively schedule that into my daily life, so I always have it.
0: I love that. Okay. So we're going to get into so many different questions from listeners. We got so many good ones, but let's start off in the social media realm because you're an expert in marketing. You're an expert in branding. We got a lot of amazing questions in that capacity. So let's start with, I want to start sharing my life on social media, but I feel like I have nothing important enough to say. Do you think I should still try to find my voice and build a personal brand? Or does that mean that this just isn't my thing? that
1: question within itself is kind of contradicting because listen to what you're saying you're saying you want to be on social media but you feel like you don't have anything important enough to say why don't you say that why don't you be honest on social media and be like hey i love social media so much i'm trying to find my thing come along with me to try different things that within itself is something to say and is something that a lot of people can relate to. And how about when you're
0: trying to find your niche or your voice, you bring along the people who are following you on that journey. In your mind, like what separates the people who people want to follow along on their journey and people don't want to necessarily tune in and come along? I've tried to like
1: put this down to a science or a formula, obviously, because this is my job. But if I'm being completely honest, sometimes I do think it's random. I think there is so much skill, and some people have such likability. There are some influencers that they could say, I'm going to go skydiving and eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm afraid of heights. I would want to do it just because they're doing it. <laughs> but I can't put my finger down and be like, oh, this is why. In broad terms, people will be like, they have to be authentic. They have to be honest with their audience. But these are things we all hear. I kind of think they're buzzwords. I think that the person who is following along with this journey needs to see a little bit of themselves in you. It all has to do with the algorithm, what the audience interest is, the type of content you're putting out there. I really genuinely, even though this is my job, I probably shouldn't be saying this, don't think there's like a science or formula behind it. But clearly, some people just have it. And sometimes it is something so random. And we're all like, why are we all obsessed with Emily Mariko silently cutting vegetables in her kitchen, or why are we all obsessed with Alex Earl, who has great advice in getting ready in college when I'm 30 in Boston? I don't really think there's like a science to it. I think some people just have it. And that goes a long way. But if I was trying to start social media, I would say the worst thing you can do is try to find that formula and try to fit in a box of what's worked before,
0: because
1: that's not who you are.
0: It begs the question, though, I think a lot of us struggle with like, who am I? And then when you have to distill that into a brand to put out there, you're like, oh my God, it almost sends you into an existential crisis. Every day,
1: literally (laughs) every day. But then I also beg to ask the question, but like, am I my brand? Am I who I am, my brand? Or is my brand my job? Or is it an extension of me? There's so many paths you can go down when asking those questions And I definitely struggle with it every single day because sometimes I'll be sitting here and I'll be like, this is my passion. Like I get to do my passion for a living. I never thought I would be able to do that. And I know the privilege that comes with that. It's so incredibly massive, but then sometimes I'll be like really upset that a video I made didn't do well and isn't getting likes. And then I'm letting it affect me so badly. And I'll look, at my life and who I am and my friends. And I'm like, am I really basing myself on likes? Am I really going to have a bad day over validation and likes on the internet? It's such a
0: tough line
1: to draw and complex to be in.
0: I completely agree. I struggle with that a lot. And I've even seen friends who aren't creators struggle with how much social media has made us dependent on outside validation versus all of the other ways that we were sort of self-validating before. It's a bummer of the platforms. And I'm still not quite sure the best way to navigate that. Yeah, me neither.
1: But at least for me personally, social media has given me so much more than it's hindered me. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it has hindered me. This next generation coming up, I think it's special. I see signs of hope in the younger generations on social media and even the fact that I have a career because of social media in a creative way is like so special and cool and something to look forward to. Even people whose careers aren't on social media, it has definitely thrown them through so much.
0: Has there been anything that's been helpful on your journey of figuring out who you are?
1: Oh my gosh, (laughs) like so much, but also like not enough, a lot of inner child work. I started to get into therapy really deeply around March because I was struggling and the majority of what we're doing is inner child work, especially with like the Barbie movie that just came out, talks a lot about that. I think like when you're trying to figure out who you are, it's really good to look inward of like who you were before the world, social media, boyfriends, friends, who were you at your core? And obviously growth is incredible and amazing, but it's also really good to like look back at like those things that made you you before they were affected by others and everything. For you, what is that? When I was younger, I grew up in a house with a lot going on and I wasn't always allowed to express my emotions, or be heard. And now being able to express my emotions and be heard by an audience and know my worth and my value. And not that that's all invalidation, but to be able to freely express that and even like fangirl over TV shows, I am such a fangirl over these teen TV shows. And it might not seem that much, but it brings me so much joy. And I feel like a kid again. and it little things like that, that I've been able to kind of turn inwards. And that's why I love volunteering at the grief camp that I volunteer with because I'm around young girls and teens. And I see a lot of myself in them and kind of reconnecting with myself through them is just like so helpful.
0: I was talking to some of my friends after we watched the Barbie movie, which I think is like a phenomenal work of genius. We were talking about how the movie makes it really clear how the hobbies that little boys have are endorsed as adult male hobbies, but the hobbies that little girls have aren't endorsed. Like we're so diminishing of what women love in this society. And I thought that that movie illustrated that really nicely. That's my whole career. I mean, I grew up
1: being a horrible student, not because I wasn't educated or enough, but because I had a lot going on at home. I couldn't really focus in school. And the things I was interested in were pop culture, e news, celebrities, like us weekly. Like I was just engulfed in pop culture from a very young age because it was kind of my escape. And I was told from guidance counselors to adults in my life that that's a vapid, hobby to have. You're a little girl from Nashville, New Hampshire, you're not going to do e-news, like you can't even get a C in English. And the first job I booked was e-news. So I completely, completely agree with that. And the fact that a lot of what we're interested in, even being a fangirl of something is so looked down upon or looked as vapid. And to be a fan of something and the art of that and the science behind that can be used in business, marketing, so many things that I won't just say women, but people are interested in those types of things is looked at as valid. And it's genuinely given me a career and has changed my life. So I'm really glad that the movie spoke on that because I couldn't agree more.
0: I've always been a fan of Taylor Swift, but I became a Swifty during the pandemic where I'm very into it. I'm watching all the theories. I'm going to the concerts, all of that kind of stuff. And it's such... A beautiful sense of community too. I feel like we live in a world that can feel so lonely and being part of these fandoms and connecting over these things I think is so much more important than we give it credit for because it automatically makes you part of this community.
1: Yeah, I've been a Swifty for life. I went to Speak Now as my first big stadium tour. And I've also been like a groupie in a sense. Like I loved boy bands growing up and I would follow them on tour. Loved Justin Bieber, followed him on tour. And none of my friends were into that. And they were like, girl, like you're spending so much money on these concerts and traveling hours. Like, what are you doing? And the sense of community I got from fandom genuinely changed my life and I'm being so serious. So I couldn't agree with that more. It's like the best experience. And then at Era's tour, I was sobbing the whole time. And I, I cried part so of
0: hard. I cried so hard. I
1: was just looking around. And I was like, these are the lyrics of my childhood, my adolescence and my adult years and watching everybody experience it together is so incredibly special. And there's not enough of this in the world.
0: At yeah, all. there's not there's no feeling like singing with 70,000 other people. There's just not another feeling like that. Okay. Let's do, how do you allow yourself to be creative when people expect you not to be? I'm really into arts, crafts, dancing, cooking, but people make comments about wasting my time and money since I work as an engineer and everyone is toxic and judgy.
1: If you think about it, this is your life. You wake up every morning as you, you go to bed every night as you in a sense, you have so many people that love and care about you. But at the end of the day in the world, like you kind of just have yourself. And I would just say to listen to what you want to do. I lost my mom when she was 50. And I always think to myself, tomorrow is not promised. And at the end of the day, like when I watch somebody become so sick and lose their life, and I watched my mom like in that hospital bed, I saw her just Obviously, be sick, but I was like, if I was in that position, would I be thinking about what other people thought about me? Would I be thinking about judgment? No, at the end of your life, you're going to think about the things that you love and that made you happy. And other people's judgment, a lot of the times, is just projecting because they want to be doing the same things, but they're scared. So I wouldn't take other people's judgment to heart too much. I'm so sensitive, but try to look at it like you only have yourself. In this life, to really do the things you want to do and dream the things you want to dream and to go after those things. And everybody deep down wishes they could be doing the same.
0: I absolutely love a low lift daily habit that has a big payoff over time. It's why I am always asking podcast guests for little hacks and tips that we can all do easily to live a better life without sacrificing a ton of time or energy. And that's why I love AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I know there are a lot of people who wonder if AG1 is overhyped because so many people talk about it, but in this case, it's just one of those things that's super hyped because it's actually that good. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day, no matter how the rest of the day goes, especially for gut health and immune support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. You can also mix it into juice or a smoothie, but I genuinely love the taste, so I go with water. And boom, you have this incredible insurance that you've gotten your foundational nutrition in from that one-minute habit in your day. I'm always trying to eat veggie packed, nutritionally dense meals, but I am not perfect, so AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, and adaptogens to cover the bases. I love how it gives me some gentle energy right after I drink it without any jitters so it doesn't stoke my anxiety like caffeine. It gives me a ton of mental clarity and clears any sluggishness or brain fog that I have, which is why even though a lot of people start their day with it, I actually prefer to drink mine in the early afternoon when I have that 3 p.m. slump. And it is not a placebo effect. AG1 has so many ingredients that have been extensively researched for their brain health effects, like rhodiola root dry extract, hawthorn berry, and rosemary, to name just a few. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything, and they are third-party tested, which is always so important to look for. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash healthier together. That's drinkag1.com slash healthier together. This tip is going to save you money and make you so much happier. We're going to talk about doing an at-home mani. It is way easier than you think, and looking down at gorgeous nails is just such an instant infusion of happiness throughout your day. Plus, doing the mani itself is such a nice way to occupy your brain instead of mindlessly scrolling or snacking. I personally love doing it while I watch TV. The key, the absolute key, is the Olive and June manicure set. Olive and June polish is wild. I literally don't like getting manicures done at salons anymore because the quality is worse than the olive and June polishes that I use at home. It lasts for so long. I'm talking two full weeks, which I have never gotten from a salon manicure and it doesn't chip or damage my nails at all. And some of you might remember the salon manicure that fully wrecked my nails and it took me months to bring them back to health. So never again. If you have never tried Olive and June, their Manny system is going to give you Everything that you need to get started. You get their file and buffer. You get their straight edge nail clippers, which I absolutely love because you can shape your nails in any shape way more easily. You get their acetone free polish remove pot, which makes it so easy to remove your polish in seconds and you don't mess up your other nails while you're doing it. You're going to get a cleanup brush. You're going to get the award winning cuticle serum. I love to keep this in my car so I can just kind of like serumize my cuticles throughout the day. You're going to get the top coat, which makes your nails look so shiny and you're gonna get six polishes of your choice. Plus, they include a genius little tool, it's called the Poppy. You're gonna screw that on the top of the nail polish and then it makes it so much easier to grip and paint with your non-dominant hand. I've been using their Manny system for a few years now and I'm honestly still shocked every single time at how good it looks and how long they last. The top coat is a serious game changer. As soon as I put it on, honestly, it just looks like I got a professional manicure. And when you break it down, Olive and June costs just $2 a mani versus $35 plus for the overall same result. And that's not even including the time you save, which is so valuable in my opinion. And of course, Olive and June's polishes are always seven free, meaning they're completely free of the seven toxic chemicals most commonly found in nail polish formulas. Things like formaldehyde and resin that you want to avoid breathing in. You get to pick six colors with the Manny system, so if you wanna know what I would do, right now I'm loving Not A Cloud, which is perfect for the blueberry milk nails that are everywhere right now, and then Lava, which is the cutest corally red, and then Jam Please, which is the most gorgeous lilac that just gives me a huge grin every single time I look at it. They also now have press on nails and tons of quick dry polishes for an even faster process. If you want to try Olive and June for yourself, visit oliveandjune.com/healthier20 for 20% off your first Manny system. That is O L I V E A N D J U N E.com/h e a l t h i e r20 for 20% off your first Manny system. I cannot wait for you to try them. What's the saying? Like the only people you have to please are your five-year-old self and your 85-year-old exactly. self or something like that.
1: And that's not to say to shut the world out, but it's like at the end of the day, really, like you genuinely are only yourself. Like you have to focus on those things.
0: I completely agree. I also think that setting boundaries with people and saying, I'm not interested in hearing your thoughts on this just so that they know that the line is drawn there and that you are aren't interested in their opinion. So you don't have to keep saying it. And then if they keep saying it, you know, a good boundary is you remove yourself from the situation. Definitely. Also, it's come up in so many podcasts recently that hobbies are what make us happy. Like hobbies are one of the key parts that make life worth living and particularly creative hobbies. I have a older friend, she's in her 60s, and she says all of the time that she's not the creative person, that like her siblings, her friends are the creative people. And I'm like, maybe you are and you have been your entire life and you just haven't gotten the permission to let that side of you out. And it makes me so, so sad that she views herself that way. And she says it enough too that it's very clear that she wants that, you know? Totally. I'm a big fan of anything that you can do to let those sides of you out is very much worth it. Okay. Let's do... I'm currently working a full-time corporate job but not feeling fulfilled by it. I want to make time for other creative endeavors outside of work to feel more fulfilled, but all I want to do at the end of the day is watch TV because I'm so exhausted. Do you have any advice? That was and still is legitimately
1: me. I feel this on such a personal, personal level because – I don't really have a lot of gray area, so I'm either going, 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 and then when I'm done, I am in bed, watching TV, happy with my dog, and I'm so exhausted, and I speak about this all the time with my friends who are still in corporate America, which is a beautiful thing. This is not like hating on corporate America at all, but I think about parents, and I'm like, how do people get up Go to work from nine to five. By the way, school gets out at three. How are moms supposed to get their kids if they're at work till five, then do extracurricular activities and come home cooked dinner. Then what? There's like two, an hour left in the day. How are you supposed to have a life outside of that life? But I will say if there's any type of advice, obviously there are weekends. If like during the week really isn't the best place for you, or if you're at a job and you have like good work friends or your work has like a kickball league or goes out to lunch. Make it so that you're able to do these creative things that you love. Maybe even during the work day, obviously with permission or find time on the weekends or maybe pick like one day a week because like I'm so exhausted but I'm gonna put myself out there because I know I'm gonna be glad that I did it at the end of the day but you are not alone in that but focus on weekends plan it out ahead of time so you almost like have to go maybe just one day a week or look to your works communities and people at work that have similar hobbies as you and maybe try to figure out if there's anything you can do like while you're working
0: I would also ask if you have more energy before work or after work, because I think some people, like I am not a morning person. I'm not going to wake up at six and like have my day. What's it called? Your five to nine before your night. I'm never going to do that. But for some people, that works really well. I am an evening person and I get that energy at like seven or eight at night. And so for me, having that be the time that I'm devoting to the things that I care about the most makes a lot of sense. So I would say, where is your energy? And then also, I do think that people can recoup a lot of the energy they're giving to work by setting better boundaries with work. It's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard to do, but it can sometimes even be like one conversation with your boss that's like, I need to not be answering emails after 7 p.m. I'm so sorry. I can do it in the morning, whatever. But being clear about what those boundaries are. And then also what you're setting for yourself as expectations. I remember when I was in a corporate job, I would be working on a presentation until like eight at night. And I was like, oh, this has to be done. But it didn't really. It was just like it had to be done in my head, you know? Same, same. Looking out for those opportunities where you're like, am I putting all of my energy to work first and paying myself Energetically second, or is there a way to kind of switch some of that and pay myself energetically first?
1: Yeah, I would make myself sick. Like, I would be up till like nine o'clock at night working at something. And I remember like my last days at those jobs, I would leave. I'd be like, technically, that really didn't mean anything. Like, it's just so weird how much time and energy you put into your job, obviously, because it's your job. But then at the end of the day, you're like, this could done in the morning and I'm yes. just pushing myself. It's just so crazy. But you're in your head, you feel like, no, I have to get it Even done. Even
0: the culture of like inbox zero, I'm like, yeah, sure. It feels good. But does it feel good because we've pedestalized productivity so much? Like why does your inbox need to be at it's zero? It's crazy. How much pressure are you putting on yourself and how much could you free up some of that energy to give back to yourself? Because again, I just feel like so many parts of advice and life and this conversation are like, You have one life. Like, what do you want it to look like at the end of the day? Yeah, exactly. We're going to get into some questions about grief. And you've mentioned your mother a few times. Can you give us a little bit of background on what happened with that situation? My mom got sick when I was
1: 15 Just turned 16, actually the day I got my license, my mom had a brain aneurysm and thank God that she had it in Boston while my little sister was training at Skating Club of Boston because she was taking a Mass General, which is an incredible hospital. And they were able to save her from her brain aneurysm, but it took around like six months to a year of recovery and rehab. But she was able to survive that, which is such a blessing after the brain aneurysm. My mom was definitely a different person in a sense, but we were still very lucky to have her. And this is around when I was finishing out high school. And a year after her brain aneurysm, she was diagnosed with a rare form of anal cancer, not colon, actual cancer of the anus. And she was treated for six months. And after six months, they said, okay, she's good. She's cancer free. Which was great. And then around six months after that, she woke up one morning paralyzed from the neck down and was taken to the hospital and died seven days later because the cancer was actually growing the whole time and she wasn't fully cured with it yet. And she passed away when I was 20. So from the time I was 16 to 20, was very much a roller coaster on top of other personal family issues that we were going through at the time. And from 16 to 20, I feel like are very pivotal years of growing up and needing a mom and figuring out who you are. And I was kind of in fight or flight for all four years. So Thursday will actually be nine years since that happened and i have come so far. But at the same time, like grief definitely isn't linear. And in a weird way, I feel like it almost gets worse and better at the same time.
0: Mm, I knew the cancer part. I didn't know the aneurysm part. It's interesting. My mom got in an accident when I was two and was in the hospital for a long time and had these like residual effects on my life. It's interesting that part of your story sort of parallels parts of mine.
1: Also, doesn't need to be the person passing away. I grieved my mom twice. I grieved my mom once she became sick. And then when she passed away, which are two very different processes, but they're still just as important and some things that you need to like turn in words on and think about when you're healing.
0: Yeah, that's been a huge thing for me. My parents got divorced as a result of the accident and all these different things. And there is this like grief for the relationship with both of them that I would have had, the life that I would have had. And then also like I was two to five when all of this stuff was happening. So it's like another formative developmental period, but a very different one than high school. I'm grieving this stuff that I don't even have conscious memory of, which is really interesting. Okay. Let's do this one first. I lost my mom when I was seven and I never fully grieved her death. I was so young. Family just kept moving on other family issues. How do you allow yourself to grieve after so long? And you're so afraid to let that wall down possibly for the first time in your life. Well,
1: I cannot speak from experience because I was older when all this happened, but I do volunteer at a grief camp called Experience Camps. And some of the campers that I've worked with, since they are younger, their parents or siblings or caretakers passed away kind of before they really got to know that parent or they don't really remember what it was like when they were around, which is also hard and part of the grieving process. First and foremost, you're not alone. And however you choose to grieve this is going to be your own journey. But I would say when it comes to being afraid of letting your walls down because it's been so long, one, again, you're not alone. And two, the fact that you're even asking yourself these questions and thinking these kinds of thoughts just shows that you're open to the idea, which is massive and something you should be so proud of yourself for doing because a lot of people never get to that place where they're ready. So take everything with a grain of salt. If you're able and capable of receiving and affording therapy, maybe speaking to a grief therapist, getting involved with an organization like Grief Camp, where you can be around others who have experienced grief as well. And in some way, that makes it at least less scary when I was going through it. But um, definitely try to start knocking down those walls a little bit. And if it gets too much, you know yourself be like okay wait a minute like I think I still need a little bit of time and that's okay but also try to push yourself to get there because sometimes when the walls start coming down you're like whoa this is too scary this is too much that's actually when you need it the most know your body like know your emotions work through it slowly but just be proud of yourself that you've even gotten to the place where you are where you're like hey this was never talked about. And that's kind of weird. And I kind of want to get into this a little bit. That's huge. And that's something you should be really proud of yourself with.
0: I completely agree. And I'll say from my personal experience, this past year, I've been working on in therapy and kind of exploring the grief around and how my mother's situation impacted me. And it's one of the more difficult things that I've ever done. But I also have gotten to know myself so much more in the process. I feel like there was a part of me that wasn't available to me. She's like, oh, the wall is up. And it's like the wall is kind of up inside yourself. Like you are denying yourself access to a part of yourself. And I think there's something really beautiful about saying, I want to be my whole self. I'm not going to keep this part of me compartmentalized. And
1: acknowledging the wall is huge. A lot of the trauma from my childhood has nothing to do with my mom's passing or my mom getting sick, which I found out through therapy. And I didn't even know that some of these walls existed. Until I started to speak about things and talk to my therapist and kind of approach that. But the fact that you're recognizing, hey, I'm putting this wall up, again, is massive and very important and will allow you to look at things differently when you start to take it down.
0: Is there an example of what the walls were about or like how you had that realization in case anybody else is in a similar place? I don't know if I've ever really spoken about this on social media, and I'm not going to get too deep into it because it's not necessarily my story to tell.
1: But I grew up around addiction, and from a like 10, 11 age, throughout my whole adolescence life, being very close to somebody who was struggling with addiction, and that's another scenario where you're constantly in fight or flight every. Thing is waiting on bated breath and like constantly waiting for the other shoe to fall always and watching somebody go from good to bad good to bad and just wanting the best for them and then also realizing like this isn't who they are but like they're still treating me this there's so much that goes along with addiction but I was always in fight or flight in waiting for the other shoe to fall and now in my life when th- things are going good I'm still waiting for that shoe to fall and I still have Codependent relationships and abandonment issues, where I'm like, if I get in a fight with a friend, a coworker, a boyfriend, I'm just wanting to make it better so badly right away because I'm so scared something bad is going to happen. And that's not something that I related back to that issue in my childhood until I started to really dig deep and think about the parts of my childhood that I kind of blacked out or didn't really acknowledge until now.
0: Is it part of the process? If you're like, oh, I'm in a fight with my friend. I need to make things better immediately. Do you hold yourself back now to practice allowing for that? Yes. Or how does that work? I mean, I'm
1: trying. It's so crazy because I'm such an independent person and I feel like I've gotten – so far in life a lot by myself, because I've had to. And uh, with my friends, I'm always giving this badass advice. And in my career, I'm like a go getter. And then in my friendships and relationships, I become so meek and so codependent. And I was like, this is not making sense. Like, how am I becoming the opposite of who I know I am? just like recognizing that and now trying to hold myself accountable and do certain things that help with that. I've started to do that, but it's still very hard. Even when I get work critique from my team, I'm like, oh my God, like this is horrible. It happened the other day. So even though I'm like working on it so hard, I still find myself in those patterns and it's just going to take more time to work through that.
0: And to the point of the codependency, I think that I have this too. When a lot of your self-worth is coming from your relationships with other people, from what other people think about you, whether they're in your real life or on social media, when you don't have that intrinsic sense of self-worth as powerfully, everything can feel so life or death. 100%. Yes. You're reading my book. Yep. That's me. It's a struggle for me as well, for sure. It's interesting. You said that it's not your story to tell. And I'm curious From a branding expert, from a social media expert perspective, that's something that I struggle with a lot is my mom's accident and and the resulting divorce and like all these things. It impacted my life so hugely. It's this incredibly large part of my childhood, but I also feel like it's not my story to tell and so many people who were involved in that are still alive and around and I don't want to hurt feelings. Do you have any advice for sharing our stories while being cognizant that they're not only our own? this is something
1: I struggle with as well. I mean, I talk about my mom's death a lot, because unfortunately, dead mom jokes, she's not here to like speak on it. And I know it helps so many people. And that's my story speaking about how I lost my mom. But when it comes to the other things that happened in my childhood, that weren't me doing certain things or other people's stories, I tread very carefully with that, for that reason. And I think that you can still share, like, I still say, like, I went through so much of my childhood, which led to this, this, and this. Like, I still tell my story, but I don't get into details, specific details, but I think about the parts that have affected me directly, it's okay to share, but that's something I'm still navigating as well. I still don't think that you should not be able to speak about those things. Because it's, it's your, your life. your story, too, when it comes to getting into the details of certain aspects, except especially with addiction. I tread very, very lightly. And I don't even really think I've fully dove into that on my platform yet. But it is important to talk about that's the struggle because I know so many people were raised around addiction or deal with it themselves. Or that story is important to tell.
0: And also, I feel like the thing that I struggle with is as people get to know me, it's such an important piece of who I am is this yes. element of how I was raised. And so I feel like I'm hiding something, but I'm not hiding it intentionally. And I feel like it colors my worldview and my actions and the conversations that I'm interested in having and all of these things. And then I can't feel like I'm being deliberately obtuse, but I'm not. Yes, 100%. It's hard. Okay. I lost my sister a few months ago, and I feel like I can't move on with life without her. Can you share some tips for what has helped you continue living life when it feels impossible and like no one understands?
1: Yes. Yes. Definitely. Um, I can relate to this. First and foremost, I think community is so important. I feel like I'm sounding like a record on repeat, but my other friends who have gone through loss or my fellow counselors at experience camps, like having a community of people who have gone through something similar is truly the reason I keep going every day because just not feeling alone in this, I think is step one it is such a lonely feeling. I remember leaving the hospital the day my mom died and driving in the car and just like having an out-of-body experience. I probably shouldn't have been driving, looking at everybody else driving their car and listening to music. And I'm like, I am having the worst day of my life. This will go down in history as the worst day of my life. But that person next to me is like going to McDonald's. It's just like, how can my world be ending but continuing at the same time. It's the most bizarre feeling and you'll never understand it until you go through it. So I think finding community and realizing you're not alone is very important. And then also, I'm not sure how your sister passed, but I think to myself, my mom was fighting to stay alive, to stay alive, actively fighting to stay alive and would give anything to be here. So if I don't honor that and want to be here and do the things she wanted to do and do the things I want to do, I kind of think of it as a way of honoring her by being able to still live life when she can't. But that's not to say you are not honoring your parent or sibling if they've passed away and you don't want to live life anymore, because that is a very serious feeling that comes along with mental health and grief. So I tread lightly with saying that, and I hope people don't take that the wrong way. But I would say, find a community, try to honor them. And then if you are at the point where it's really, really serious and bad, definitely try to seek professional help. And I know when you're going into professional help, you're going to be like, this person has no idea What I'm going through. Nobody could ever understand this type of pain. Like they weren't there, they don't get it. And I get that too. And that is true. But just having somebody to have a conversation with when you're going through those times is so crucial and will help you
0: more than you'll ever know. Were there any little things that you did on a day to day basis that helped you? Feel a part of the world again, like structure you gave to your day or anything like that? Honestly, no. And I'm sure other people can relate to this. My mom's death
1: didn't hit me until like two and a half years later two, three, almost four because I went right back to college after it happened. Maybe I did have routines and stuff, but it was in the unhealthy way. I just went right back to being a college kid. I was at college. I was like, my mom's back home. Like, I'm good. And then right after college, I went out to LA and I was like, okay, I'm in LA. My mom's not home. Like I'm good. I like set up things to get myself through it, which actually did the opposite and like shoved down my grief. Then when I moved back to New Hampshire for other family reasons, it's when I was like, oh my God, I can't do this life anymore. Like the person who brought me into the world isn't here anymore. What is happening? Like it all kind of hit me way later because I was setting up things to distract myself. And that's not to say when you're going through these times, don't go to a movie with a friend that make you laugh, but I would say try to find the things that make you happy and be around people you love and get out of the house. That's the hardest thing for me at least, but don't try to bury it.
0: It's like don't try to bury it, but also if you laugh at a movie or you're hanging out with your friends and you're having a good time, like that's okay. I think there can often be so much guilt in enjoying your life. And I think it's so beautiful the way you put it, that that enjoyment of life is a way of honoring the person who's passed. And also
1: being able to laugh at the situation you're going through or have quote unquote dead mom jokes, it makes everybody in the room uncomfortable, but that helped me. Like that's why I like having a community of people who've also gone through it because you only get it when you get it. Laughing, Maybe even being joking, which sounds so inappropriate, but it's not. It's the truth. It's what everybody does who's gone through these types of things. And then also realizing hey, if somebody passed away who was sick, and in a weird way, you almost feel relief because you don't have to go through having that person be so sick and losing them slowly. And you're so devastated and heartbroken that you lost this person, but in some way you feel a sense of relief because you can continue to live your life and you can get out of this hospital and your parent or sibling or whoever you're grieving isn't in pain anymore. That's another feeling that people feel shamed about when going through grief that is completely normal to feel as well. It is so not linear and there's so many different emotions that you're going to go through and none of them should involve guilt.
0: Was there anything that you told yourself or that people said to you when you were guilting yourself that was helpful? The statement that's huge with every therapist or grief camp and even everything
1: that I've said is that grief isn't linear. It really isn't. It's never going to go away. You just learn to live with it. And that sounds like a negative statement and almost like no hope. But I weirdly find that to be the most helpful because a lot of the times – when you're going through these emotions, you just want it to go away or you feel guilty for it. And you're like trying, like, how do I fix this? Unfortunately, like you're never going to fix it. You learn to live with it. And that can be a beautiful thing. How I've learned to live with it is it's given me so much perspective on life and like going after things I want and like not taking things too seriously. Because at the end of the day, you never know what's going to happen next but you'll learn how to live with it in a healthy way that
0: works for you. Having some vinegar before a meal is one of my favorite blood sugar balancing hacks that I learned from the Glucose Goddess episode of the podcast, which is still one of our most popular podcast episodes. You definitely need to listen if you haven't yet. But essentially, the acetic acid elongates the blood sugar curve so you don't feel that spike and crash. And apple cider vinegar helps you absorb more nutrients from your food. So it is a win-win. While you can, of course, just use a little vinegar in water, the main time that I am eating less blood sugar-friendly meals is when I am out at restaurants, which is where the Paleo Valley apple cider vinegar capsules come in so handy. I keep my Paleo Valley capsules in my car glove compartment, so they are always on hand. I just take one before a meal out, and it helps me feel so much better afterwards, regardless of what I eat. I also would be remiss if I didn't talk about Paleo Valley's turmeric complex, I've talked about how Zach swears by it for dealing with the knee pain that he sometimes gets from going on long runs before. He is marathon training right now, so go, Zach. Lots of long runs. But I honestly recommend it to pretty much anyone in my life experiencing pain. My uncle used it for back pain, and it was wildly helpful. And I personally cycle in and out when my shoulder pain is acting up. Turmeric has been studied to support healthy joints, brain health, immune function, and cardiovascular function, and it's an amazing, effective way to combat chronic inflammation, one of the things that often causes us pain. It's also super important that turmeric is consumed with black pepper and fat to increase its bioavailability, and Paleo Valley's turmeric complex has organic black pepper and coconut oil in each capsule, along with three other powerful anti-inflammatories ginger, rosemary, and cloves for the maximum synergistic response. Both of these complexes have no fillers, no binders, no preservatives, and are made with all organic ingredients and just a veggie capsule. They're also third-party tested, which is something I always look for in supplements as extra assurance of their quality. I always recommend looking for supplements for your specific needs at any given moment and needs change. So definitely explore Paleo Valley's site. They have a ton of incredibly high quality options for supplements and more, including a new electrolyte drink that is so tasty and well-formulated and bars and grass-fed meat sticks that are perfect for snacking on the go. If you would like to check out the Turmeric Complex, the Apple Cider Vinegar Complex, or any of Paleo Valley's other amazing products, Head over to PaleoValley.com slash Liz Moody for 15% off your first order. That's PaleoValley.com slash Liz Moody for 15% off your first order. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for more than five years now, I've been drinking AG1. It's just one scoop mixed in water, and it makes me feel energized and focused without any kind of caffeine jitters. I discovered AG1 after a ton of research because I was looking for one simple habit I could incorporate into my day that would support my entire body and cover my nutritional bases. No matter what the rest of the day looks like, I know that I'm getting essential brain, gut, and immune health support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. I think it tastes delicious too, which I know people are always nervous about, but I think it's like a tropical vanilla flavor and I crave it, especially because I associate the flavor with feeling so good. Of course, we're always trying to eat our fruits and vegetables and balanced meals over here, but nobody is perfect. So AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods and adaptogens. I especially love it for all of the travel I've been doing. I think it's a huge reason why I still feel so good and have avoided getting sick despite being on a plane a few times a week for so much of this year and having to eat out so often. AG1 is rigorously third party tested, which you know I always look out for. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything. AG1 is one of the highest quality products to elevate your health, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. That's drinkag1.com slash Liz Moody. Check it out. You've said a few different times in a few different ways that the people who are going to get it are going to get it and the people who aren't going to get it aren't going to get it. And I completely agree. I think it's so, so true. But also, if I haven't lost somebody, I would still want to be there for my best friend or my partner or somebody else who is in the process of grief. Is there anything that those people can do to find that empathy or that would be really helpful as like an outsider? Yes. And I'm actually Working on a project and developing
1: something that I think will be very helpful for this in the future because this is the biggest question that I get when I share my story is like, okay, I'm the friend. What the heck do I do? Like, uh, do I just stand there, hug, cry, laugh? What do I do? And I get that. A couple of things that I always say is you don't even understand how helpful it is to do nothing, to just sit there to just listen. And you'll be able to pick up on cues just from that. When somebody is grieving and going through this loss, their emotions are going to be all over the place. So one day they might want you to bring them their favorite smoothie. The next day that favorite smoothie may remind them of their mom and make them cry. And you're like, what the heck is going on? So I would say just like actually sit there, be with them, listen, and seek what they need. A lot of the times people will be like, I'm so sorry for your loss, which is the best intentions. But instead, I always tell people, I would either ask, what can I do for you? Ask them straight up, like, what can I do for you right now? Can I just shut up and go in the other room while you're in your bed crying, but still be here on the couch? Can we go do something? Actually ask them, what can I do for you? And then the second thing is, If you don't know this person that well and you're not by their back and call as they're going through their grief or it's been a while, I always say instead of saying, oh, I'm like so sorry for your loss, be like, oh my gosh, what's your favorite thing you did with your mom? Like what did your mom used to do for you on your birthday? What is your mom's favorite movie? Ask them questions about their person because we live in a world now where it's like we're not able to speak about our people. So, by somebody being there for you and wanting to get to know that person more and giving you the opportunity to speak about that person does more than people could ever, ever know. And then I would say, as awkward as it is when you don't know what to do, maybe you can just address that. Be like, "Hey, like, I have no idea what you're going through right now, but I just want you to know that, like, I'm here if you want to do something." That isn't sitting on the couch and crying or like, "Hey, I've known you for 20 years. We've never ever hugged before, and I want to give you a hug, but I feel awkward. What do we do? Just speak your feelings because the person doesn't know what to do either. Just like taking the elephant out of the room and being like, "Yeah, this is awkward. What are we going to do about this? Like, you know what I mean? There's a couple of things you can do to go about this. Brief is so taboo and isn't really spoken about enough that it's forced to be uncomfortable when it doesn't need to be.
0: I think people are often afraid to ask about, like, what's your favorite memory with your mom, whatever, because they don't want to make you dwell on something that's going to be painful. Can you alleviate that fear? I think that's the complete opposite. I think what's the most painful is people forgetting
1: about your person, not being able to talk about your person anymore, not having those memories be spoken aloud. That's what's painful. So to be able – To speak about, like when my friends are talking about their moms or like, oh yeah, my mom's coming into town. We're going to do this, this, and this. Like I will never be able to have that conversation like ever. I can't even say the words my mom, like really in conversation because my mom's not here anymore. So to be able to give a person that time to speak of whoever they lost is like such a gift and such a joy, but I will say somebody just lost somebody and they're crying on the couch. And they're like, unconceivable. You're not gonna be like, can we talk about your mom more? Read the cues. But like, if it's somebody that you're just becoming close with, then it doesn't need to be something sappy. Just be like, oh my God, I can't even imagine what you're going through when you went through that. What was your favorite gift? Your mom, ever gave you on Christmas or your birthday or like, did your mom love Boston? Is she from here? Just little things. Like it doesn't need to be like, what do you miss the most about your person? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I love that. Okay. Let's do a little bit of body image stuff. I have been working really hard to have a better relationship with my body this year, but I have a big vacation coming up with my friends and I'm feeling really anxious about being in a swimsuit all week long. Do you have any tips for getting over that anxiety when you can't stop thinking about it?
1: Well, I'm so sorry you're going through this. I have struggled with body image issues and EDs for as long as I can remember. And getting on the internet, it's been really, really difficult for me because for some reason, there's this narrative about my body on the internet, even though I'm not like a fashion girl. I'm not like showing off my outfits or like my body or anything like that. And that shouldn't even be spoken about when that is the case. But I think it's just kind of strange because I sit on the couch, I rarely show my body. And when I do, there's a lot of comments about my body image in a very negative way. Those negative comments are what I say to myself which is what's so triggering to me. So I definitely understand what you're going through and I struggle with it as well. I'm still struggling and working through that in therapy, but if there's anything that I've learned, who you are and the things people like about you, and when somebody describes you, a friend's describing you, or like people's memories with you, it legitimately has nothing, nothing to do with your looks think about your friends who are in your inner circle. When you think about them, do you ever, ever think about their body? For me, no. Sometimes like, oh, well, she has a banging body. Like she looks great. But like, that's not like what I think about when I think about my friends. I think about our memories, their personalities, who they are. And none of that has anything to do with body image. So as hard as it is, except especially in a vacation setting where people are going to be taking photos. Something I also do is when group photos are being taken, I get in a couple of them, you know, for memories. But if I know somebody's like taking a picture for social media, I kind of opt out of that one if I'm not in the best headspace or feel comfortable. Because I'm like, you know what, I'll dwell on that. That'll like not really make the trip fun. Take yourself. Unfortunately, if you're in a negative headspace out of situations, that might trigger you. That's something that triggers me. But just remember going on vacation, that is such a blessing. Like take in your surroundings, be like, I'm not working right now. Like I am relaxing. Try to focus on the things other than your body, but also at the same time, have grace for yourself because that is extremely, 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 extremely hard to do.
0: I will say the stuff we were talking about earlier too, I think all applies here. Like when you're 85, would you rather look back on this vacation you took and think, oh my gosh, I had so much fun with my friends. I played volleyball on the beach. I jumped in the waves. I don't know what else people do at the beach. I'm not a beach girly, but like I did all the fun stuff in my swimsuit. Or when you're 85, are you going to be like, man, the size of my thighs was really critical for this vacation? We're taught that they matter and they really don't. And speaking of the Barbie movie and everything else we were talking about earlier, I get really fired up about this stuff because a lot of the standards of beauty that we've accepted almost without question as a society are based on the patriarchy. They're based on trying to sell us shit. They're trying to make us feel always inadequate with something. And these things have also changed so much over time. Like what a perfect body is, has changed over time. It's like, it's a losing game. It's hard
1: because sometimes I'll get on like the right side of the world in social media and I'll think these things. I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Like, do I feel the need to be small for this one person? But then I think about or see examples of like, when I was smaller or looked a certain way, I was rewarded for that. Or I see people who are the typical beauty standard, and they're being rewarded for it. It's so hard to be like, you know what, things are changing, and they're great. But then you also still see what oh, so you true. wanted no. to be rewarded. When I was a certain size, I was praised more for my appearance or got more... Guys, or jobs, or friendship. It's so hard to be like, I know when you were unhealthy, you were treated best, but just like, don't do that anymore. And you're like, oh, okay, but I still wanna. It's such a battle, and we are making strides in it. And everything we said is so true. Where at the end of the day, you could wake up tomorrow and find out something is seriously wrong with your health, and you wouldn't be thinking about your body. There's so many things you can say
0: to yourself. But we live in the society that we live in. Like the society we live in is so real. I was talking about this with my dermatologist yesterday because I was getting like all of these lasers and Botox. I'm like starting this whole book tour in the next few months. And I'm like, I'm going to be seeing my face all the time. I'm going to be on camera all the time that's a hard thing for me to just have to look at myself all the time. And so I'm spending all this money and time trying to make myself palatable for myself to look at. And she's like, yeah, yeah, but it's about the ideas. Like your book is so good. It's just about the ideas that you're sharing. And I'm like, yes, but I am also very aware that if I look a certain way, when I am sharing those ideas, those ideas are going to be taken more seriously, accepted more, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like, we have to hold the truth of what is the society that we want to live in? How can we fight to make that society real? But also like, what is the society that we live in? And it's almost like cognitive dissonance. Like I wish I didn't give a shit how I looked, but also I want people to take my ideas seriously and how I look is part of that. I have such a great community too. The negative comments
1: are literally foul but the good comments that come along with it people are always like but we love you for your ideas like we love you for how far you've come like it's the sweetest things that mean so much to me and I never thought I would be here sometimes they are tainted by I'm like I did this or I got this job or I got to shoot this I got on this panel and then like I'll get negative comments about my body while I'm doing those things and I'm like it's just A never ending cycle of being like, I should be so proud of myself right now for accomplishing this or getting to where I am. But in the back of my head, I'm still thinking about the way I look, even though the way I look has nothing to do with where I got where I am. And it's so hard to ignore. And especially when you have to see yourself on video in photos, that is what triggered me to get back into a really negative space because I'll go to this fun event. And I'll be like, Oh, my God, that was a time in my life. I'm so lucky. And then I'll get the photos back. And I'll be like, Oh, my God, I hate myself. But at the end of the day, I think that I'm going to be working on this for the rest of my life. And that's something like I'm so okay with. And I recognize. But the bigger picture is society. And I hope we get to a place where things change. But there's a lot of change that has to happen. And I don't know how that would happen.
0: Yeah, I think it's happening. I think it's It's a slow process. So that's why I think it's like two faceted advice. One, really try to gain perspective on where your body sits in terms of you living an enjoyment, you living an enjoyable life, you. Don't let your views of your body as much as possible get in the way of like having fun on vacation, enjoying time with your friends, et cetera, et cetera. Your body is for living, not looking is something I always, always say. And I try to remind myself of that, like a mantra as much as possible. Look back at yourself from like 85, all these things, but also recognize that we live in a society that makes these things incredibly hard and give yourself the grace within that. Because I think that both things are true. and. It's one of the many contradictions of being a woman in the world today. I'm curious, the time that I find most triggering for my looks is when I'm in these influencer environments where I'm surrounded by people who are literally paid to be beautiful, are acknowledged by society as beautiful all the time, and like really do it like as a job. And I know that that's sort of unrelatable, but I think a lot of people get triggered when they're out with certain friends or kind of like in certain environments. I'm curious how you deal with that.
1: Yeah, that's a massive trigger for me. I went on my first like influencer event in a sense this month, and it was in Fiji, Love Island. So cool. Literally so cool. That's it. It was awesome. But I was around extremely beautiful women in bikinis the whole time. And I was so incredibly triggered, but I will say, I feel like working on myself has helped because I was in Fiji. I'm a girl from New Hampshire. I was like, I know I don't like the way I look right now. I know they look literally perfect, even sitting down in a bikini and that will literally never be me. But like, I'm in Fiji like I have to take this in like I really did do that work of being like this is once in a lifetime I was having so many gratitude checks so I think that when I am in those environments it is so triggering this is not relatable whatsoever but like red carpets for me are I get really bad panic attacks and I'm really lucky to have some friends like Teffy and Serena Kerrigan who are constantly on these red carpets with me who know this and kind of are there with me, which I'm so grateful for. But I know when I'm in that environment, one, I'm surrounded by everybody who's literally beautiful, out of worldly beautiful. And I know that there's so many cameras going, like my job is to stand there and to get like critiques. And in my head, it's just such a battle and such a struggle. And it is so extremely triggering for me. So I've kind of gotten ahead of that and kind of been like, Take it for what it is, have the time of your life. You grew up pretending to be on the red carpet when you were in the 3rd grade in your bedroom. You are that kid now. Love it and like don't look at Reddit or don't look at your comments after and really just take it in. Sometimes you were like, "Don't look at the comments. Don't compare yourself." I'm like, "If you are standing in a room with 6 supermodels, how do you not compare? Your- it's in front of your face." Like I get it and I follow the advice too, but like easier said than done when it's in front of your face. It's like so hard.
0: For sure. I think that there's something really lovely about you even saying that because a lot of people can see you walking a red carpet and be like, oh my gosh, that's so dreamy. Everything's so perfect. She got flown to Fiji for Love Island. But even the people that were pedestalizing are having these insecurities or having these moments or maybe having a panic attack and you don't even know about it. And
1: by the way, my friends in this industry who I look at and are like, oh my God, you are gorgeous, struggle as well. With image it's not just me like you were saying somebody might look at me on the red carpet and be like oh my god that's so cool like that's amazing she's so confident and cool but they wouldn't know what I'm dealing with in my head even the most beautiful girls
0: in the world are struggling
1: the same exact way.
0: It's so helpful to contextualize it that way because literally it is a game and there are no winners. It's not like if I get here, I will feel a certain way, which I think is the thing we're all guilty of. We're like, oh, if I looked this way, my whole life would be fixed. If I had this much money, whatever. And then you have access and exposure to those people and they're still having all the same problems. You're like, oh, oh, okay. It's like literally an unwinnable game. So why am I making myself play it?
1: And even from a broader spectrum, I'll meet celebrities or work with celebrities that I've looked up to like my entire life. I watched E! News instead of reading Hooked on Phonics. Like I've literally been celeb obsessed since I was six, watching the real world, like wanting to be on TV. I'll meet these celebrities or see them in person or like be around their circles. And I'll just be like, oh my God, I thought that I wanted to be like a superstar, like my whole life. And the more I'm around it, the more I'm like, oh my God, that is the complete opposite of what I want. Because even though they are so blessed financially or living out their dreams, and some of them, they're made for it. They love it. Some of them I look and I'm like, I don't know if they'll ever fully be happy. There's so much that comes with that territory. And there's so much privilege that comes with that territory as well. And that's not to be forgotten. But there are certain aspects of the industry and certain aspects of things that I watch these people go through that people would have no idea where I'm like, wow, that is a lot that I would never want to be in that position.
0: I think that being a celebrity sets you up and you don't always have to succumb to this, but I think it sets you up to really need more of that external validation and to really have to work very hard to have your self-worth come from inside of you in any sort of way that can have all sorts of downstream repercussions because if you're not developing an innate sense of self-worth at any moment, people can take that away from you. Definitely. Which I think is so tricky. Well, I love this conversation, Robin. Can you tell everybody a little bit about where they can find you online? Yeah. So it's at Girlboss
1: Town G-I-R-L-B-O-S-S-T-O-W-N on Instagram and on TikTok. On my social media, the type of content that I make, half of it is essentially me doing trend forecasting, creative direction and social strategy for brands and celebrities. The other half of it is pop culture coverage. And then like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, I'll sprinkle in a lot of my personal stories and struggles as well. We have a little bit of everything that i like to cover. Come and join me
0: on there. I would love to see you. Well, thank you so much, Robin. I love this. I hope that you loved this episode with Robin. I love these types of conversations about body image and societal expectations and all these really, really difficult aspects of being a woman in the world today. I just want you to know that if you're experiencing similar struggles, you are not alone. And Robin is also just such a powerful voice in the world of grief, and I'm so happy that she's sharing her wisdom. If you would like to have your questions answered on any future advice episode, send them over to ask at lizmoody.com. They're always totally anonymous. We will be back with a fresh advice episode on the last Monday of August. So tune in for that. But we'll have all of our normal episodes every single Wednesday. And we have some very exciting ones coming up, including a deep dive into eye and vision health, which impacts so much more than I was aware of. And then an overview of a type of therapy that tons of celebrities swear by. So make sure that you are following the podcast so you do not miss out on anything. You're just going to go to the main page for the podcast on whatever app you listen on. It's the one with all the Healthier Together episodes listed. And then you're going to hit the button that says follow so you get the episode right in your feed every single week. Okay, I love you. And I will see you next Wednesday on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. When Zach and I started Healthy Convoco, we needed to find the easiest way to get conversation cards from our warehouse onto our website and into your hands. I thought it was going to be the hardest part of starting a business, but it wound up being one of the easiest because we just used Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling gorgeous ceramics to sip morning tea from or beautiful journals to write prompts from the we're all in this together deck in, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI powered all star. I know as a consumer, I'm way more likely to buy when a website has Shopify. It has all of my information saved, so checkout becomes a one click situation even on small business sites, which makes me so happy because I love shopping small. But it's not just small. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com/slash LizM, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash LizM now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Lizm.